Well, as the ushers uh, continue to collect this morning's offering, we're going to go ahead and jump right in, and I need to tell you about my vacation plans. I know what you're thinking. You really care about my vacation plans. Well, you're going to in a minute because I'm going to give you the best idea for a game of Uno that you've ever had. Here's what it is. Every time you play Uno, we do Team Uno. I don't know how you guys do it, but we do like guys against girls, so you all sit every other person around the circle, you know. That way it's not so much about whether you win, but it's about whether the men win. Okay, that, it's whatever. Just let that sink in. Anyway, so, so here, here's how we play, though. The winner of the game gets to make the new rule for the game. Okay, sometimes they're, like, actually have something to do with the game. Like, you can double down on a draw two card, right? Like, so instead of me drawing two, I can throw my draw two card, and the next person draws four. Or until it stops. That, that rule's okay. The best rules, though, are the rules that have absolutely nothing to do with the game. For example, one of my favorites is that um, you can no longer use first names. And if you use a first name, you have to draw cards. And then you add, when you add to that, no first names, and then later you add no pronouns. Like, really makes it complicated. My favorite is that you can't talk anymore, but when the color is red, you have to sing everything. It's more fun that way. Uno's like my favorite game for that reason. <clears throat> I mean, there's really nothing all that awesome about Uno, okay? But it's the rules that happen that, that, that make it fun. And so what happens is we start to focus all on these rules and not a whole lot on the actual game itself. And while that works for Uno, that's not overly awesome when it comes to Christianity. And that's what we do. We are in the middle of our, <coughs> excuse me, our Freedom From Religion series, where we're trying to understand that there is a difference between religion and a relationship with the God of the universe. Because a religion will always teach us to do more, that somehow there is something out there for us to do that will make God like us more, that will make God respond to us, when the reality is that your Heavenly Father has loved you more than we could possibly fathom, has poured out everything for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of us, to save those of us that were lost. God has poured everything out for us. There is not a single thing we can do that will make him love us more. See, religion teaches that we do more, but a relationship with Jesus Christ teaches us that it is already done. And we need to understand the difference. And so we're in the middle of this series. We're walking through the letter that Paul wrote to the, uh, the Colossian church. And we're, we're finding out the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. And as we get to today, we see that rules, man-made religious rules, ultimately, if that's what you follow will leave you woefully short of a genuine relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to be um, that thing that pastors hate to be and that churches hate to hear, and I'm going to be that guy. So let me be that guy for a second. If rules and following religious activity is going to always get you just short of a relationship with Jesus Christ then someone who has based their entire experience with the God of the universe based on rules, 
based on religious activity is a person that will say to Jesus Christ on that day, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I do all these great works in your name? And what's Jesus going to say? We know this verse. We hate it. It's the saddest verse in Scripture. Depart from me. I don't know you. If you're here this morning, and I'm, I'm just... If you're here this morning and you're banking on a religious experience or you're banking on religious rituals or you're banking on being a rule follower to help you be right with God, you will be embarrassed and mistaken. And on that day, you may very well hear from your Savior. I'm sorry, not your Savior. You may very well hear from my Savior. Depart from me. I don't know you. You and I don't have a personal relationship. You trusted something else and not me to get you where you need to be. You wasted your life. And so I want to caution you as we get into this text today, don't take this lightly. When we talk about freedom from religion, we have this, okay, yeah, it's a cute thing. We're, we're, you know, we've got the, no, 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 no. This is serious stuff. And Paul, when Paul gets into this, he is so serious as we deal with this because we have to understand that rules will lead you to the wrong place. You know who was awesome at following rules? The Pharisees were awesome at following rules. And just a quick read through the New Testament, through the Gospels of Jesus Christ, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read through those and you'll understand really quickly how Jesus felt about the Pharisees and all of their religious rules. He hated them. In fact, here's what he says about them, if I can remember what the on button looks like. There it is. I don't know if I did that or if John did that upstairs, but either way, I appreciate it. Um, here's, what, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 23. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, let me translate for you what that means. That means that no matter all of the good things and the outwardly positive things, all of the pious things, right? No matter how many suits they wore on a Sunday morning, no matter how many Hail Marys they said, no matter how many altar calls they responded to, no matter how many times or in how many different ways they were baptized, Jesus says, I don't care about any of that nearly as much as I care about what's happening in your soul. He says, so all of the rules that you follow mean absolutely nothing to me. Jesus is basically saying this. Are you ready for this? Oh, I need you to hear me on this one. The number of hymns you sing in a worship service doesn't really matter. Okay, but that's all right. Wait, because he says the same thing here. The number of contemporary songs that you sing in a worship service, that also does not matter. Whether you say the Lord's Prayer or don't say the Lord's Prayer, doesn't matter. Whether you come and receive communion or communion is passed out to you, also doesn't matter. Whether you do it once a week 
or you do it once a year, not the most important thing. Listen, what Jesus is very clearly saying to the Pharisees here is, look, you and all of your rules and all of the silly things that you do, all of this stuff that you've put up here on this pedestal, all of the stuff that you've made really important about religion, all of it is fake. Because on the inside, you're disgusting. You're dead. You're necrotic. You're decaying. So Jesus makes clear with the Pharisees, and and that's what we're trying to understand here, is that if we're looking for something better than the Pharisees, if we're looking for a righteousness that surpasses theirs, something that counts for us, something that will count for us on that day, something that will make our life today, right now, meaningful and have purpose, then we need to get past religion, because religion never, ever works. Okay? So we get this, this big idea here as we get started, just says, look, when you focus on rules... Even if you can follow all the rules, even if you could follow all of the rules, it only cleans you up on the outside. You are still the same person as you were before, right? I could walk into my office, I could shave my beard, I could put on a nice suit, I could clean myself up, only to a degree. It is what it is, guys, I'm sorry. But when I come back out here, it may look different, Internally, I am no different. I could conform to a standard, maybe, but it won't fix what's going on with my heart. But when I have a relationship with Jesus, as we're going to see as we get into this text in the book of Colossians and Colossians 2, it changes me from the inside out. I become a whole different person. It's not that I act in such a way that it finally catches up, right? It's not like I quit smoking, and I know that if I can go two months without smoking, that odds are it'll take, right? That odds are I'll be able now to live a life that doesn't smoke, because it it took, right? Um, No, 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 it's not like that. What happens with Jesus is Jesus gets into my heart, and he fixes what's broken in my heart, and he changes me slowly. It's not fast, it's not furious, but he changes me slowly from the inside out, okay? So let's, let's see how this works as we get into Colossians today. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7, we're actually going to go through like um, 17 verses, but we're going to do it rather quickly. Uh, we're going to break them apart, so stay with me as we go. Open up your Bible or follow along here on the screen, and we'll start with this. And now, this is Paul talking to the Colossian church here, um, and now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow deep down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Okay, that is not a complicated um, way for Paul to start this chunk of his letter, but let's, let's break it down here a little bit. Basically what he says is st- stay on target. Don't forget what's true. Okay, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, okay? Therefore, you must continue to follow him. It, I don't know if you're confused about how this works, um, and I think some of us Christians might be, okay? Because what we like to do is we like to say, I'm going to follow Jesus here, but I'm not going to follow Jesus here. Like, I will give Jesus this much. I don't know that I can give Jesus all of it. 
right? But I'm looking at Paul, what he says, and he says, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord. You must continue to follow him. Listen to me. Following Jesus is a one direction endeavor. You follow Jesus. Where Jesus goes, you go. Where Jesus leads, you follow. What Jesus teaches you to do, you do. When you follow Jesus, there's not a lot of leeway. You don't get a lot of like, hey, well, time out. Wait, Jesus. Ooh. You know, I've thought this through more than you have. Like, you wouldn't actually say those words to Jesus, but you say those words to Jesus. You're like, yeah, I've thought this one through more than you have. And I really think that if you and I could sit down and have a conversation about this, that you would see it my way. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. And you're going this way, but I'm going to go this way and it's going to be just fine. But that's, that's not what Paul says. He says, now, just as you accept Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And then I love this part. Then, and only then, will your faith grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Some of you, we've had this conversation or you've talked about it in your small groups or with your accountability partners or whatever it is and, and here's the problem that you have. Some of you are waiting for more and more faith before you act. You're like, well, I would love to be obedient to what God has given me. I would love to do what God has told me to do but he hasn't given me the faith to act that way yet. Like, I know that I should walk here, but he hasn't given me the faith to walk here yet, so I can't walk here. Okay, that's absurd. It's absurd. Because if you look at what this is telling us, this is when you follow Jesus, okay, and your roots grow down into him, and you are obedient in him, and you follow him, then your faith catches up. Sometimes... Jesus is waiting. God is waiting for you to act in faith before he builds your confidence. God told Abraham to go. Did he tell him where he was going? No, he just said go. You know what he said? Go to the land that I'll show you in the future. You get up, you pack up your family, you close your store, and you go. I can imagine Abram saying, okay, God, whoa, time out. Where am I going? Like, I got I to gotta get my, my map quest going. I got to figure out exactly what's the best route to take. What hotels am I going to stop at? Where am I going to fill up with gas? We got to get the whole thing mapped out. More importantly, where are the rest stops? Okay. But God says, no, 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 no. Just start walking. When it's time for you to turn, I'll tell you. And as you're obedient and your roots grow deep, then your faith will start to flourish. But, but this is a very serious cause and effect that we miss here. Obedience begets faith. Okay? So understand this as we go. There is no legitimacy in cultural Christianity. It isn't biblical. The idea that you can be a kind of a Christian, that's not real. The idea that you can pick and choose what you want to do, that's not true. That's 
why discipleship is one of our core values here at Blessed Hope, because we know that saved people grow. If you are legitimately saved, you will grow in your faith, because you can't be legitimately saved, a new creation, and not grow. It doesn't work that way. And if you were banking on that, then I would, I would question whether you're really following Jesus or if maybe you were more following some religious idea or rules about Jesus. And it might be time to come home, right? Because there's nothing there for you. Cultural Christianity is not a thing. Worshiping God once a month, it's not a thing. Okay, some of you might feel like I'm poking at you here. I'm not, I promise. Nobody's face in my head. You come to church once every six weeks? Come on, really? But Matt, I'm busy. Yeah, I know. Haven't cracked your Bible open since last Sunday when I asked you to open up your Bible? But, but Matt, I got stuff to do. Yeah, I know. I get it. I really, I, I get it. But you're lying to yourself. It's not real for you if it doesn't change who you are because saved people grow. That's why discipleship is a core value. That's why we run small groups. Small group signups will start again here in a couple weeks. If you're not, I mean, you've got to get serious about your faith. If it's real, it will change you. If it doesn't change you, you have a legitimate reason to question whether or not it's real. We keep going here in Colossians 2, 8 and 10. It says, don't let anyone capture you. Okay, this is, this is exactly what we're talking about with this idea of cultural Christianity. Knock it off. Don't let anyone take you hostage. Don't let anyone hijack you or capture you with empty philosophies. And I love this. High-sounding nonsense. Right? That means is I don't care how good it sounds. How many of you have heard this? God loves you so much. God loves you so much that he would never judge you. Or God loves you so much, he doesn't mind your sin. Or God cares about you so deeply, God loves you so much that he would never let one of his children go to hell. Or God would never tell you to do something you didn't want to do. It's high-sounding nonsense, right? We, we say it in the name of God. Well, I know about God because God is, this, and God is this person and he would never want me to do something uncomfortable. God would never want me to put myself at risk. God would never want me to pour myself out. God would never want me to risk things for him. Except here, Paul's saying that's exactly what God tells you to do. He says, follow me first. Your faith will increase. And he says this, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. I don't care how good they sound. They're not true. You know what's true? This is true. So I don't care what word somebody uses to explain to you something. If it's not in here, if it's not in here, and it contradicts what's in here. It can't possibly be true. And you know what I find? The people that always tell me, well, God loves me so much that. They've never read this thing. I'm like, well, 
what does God say in Romans? Or what does God say in Ephesians? Or what does God say here? What about Revelations chapter 21? And they're like, I don't even know what that says. They've never read this. But somebody somewhere along the way convinced them with this high-sounding nonsense that God would never. But Paul says, don't get tricked by that. Don't get hijacked. You know why? Because that's human thinking and, and I love here, look here, it says and, came from human thinking and, not or, but and, from the spiritual powers of this world. The spiritual powers of this world, that's Satan and demons that are out there meant to destroy you. This is why we, we don't follow teaching that contradicts scripture. In fact, some of you and I have had this conversation where you're like, well, yeah, I know that what this person teaches isn't biblical, but I really like what they say over here. And so I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to, I'm going to keep reading it and I'm going to keep putting it in my brain and I'm going to keep immersing myself in it. I'll even share it on Facebook. Why would we do that exactly? Where, where is their wrong coming from? Their wrong is coming from not just their own weird thinking, but from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than the author of truth, which is Jesus Christ. Because in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. In Christ, we get truth. So you're complete through your union with Christ, who's head and ruler over everything, not when you follow some goofy, weird, but it sounds nice, and nobody gets offended, and everybody tells me that this is the church. I, if I'm gonna, you, know, you know what? You know when you're in trouble as a church? Or as a Christian, you're in trouble when somebody says this. Well, I'm not a Christian, but if I was going to be, I would be that kind of Christian because they're easy. They accept everybody. I, I don't go to church, but if I went to a church, I would go to that one because that one tells me everything is okay. I've had that conversation before. I can't go to your church. I mean, I've had people in the community tell me, I can't go to your church. I'm like, well, why can't you go to our church? Because you guys teach things that are too hard. It's called the Bible. But Paul says, don't, don't let anybody capture you, okay? Don't let anybody do it. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's, that's the one. Hey, can we get a new clicker? I think we got to work it in the budget. Anyway, so when you came to Christ, you were circumcised. Now we continue in 11 to 12. This one gets weird. It's going to be okay. Okay? This is what Paul says. He's talking now to Christians. Don't get sucked in by this high-sounding nonsense, right? But instead, focus on the truth of Jesus Christ. Because when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. We all know what circumcision is, right? We've all, we've all heard my, my really awesome circumcision joke. It's the only one I have. Okay, I'm going to tell you anyway. So two kids, 11-year-olds, both in the hospital together. Um, and one says to the other one, man, what are you here for? He's like, I'm going to get my tonsils out. It's like, oh, okay, what about you? He's like, oh, I'm here to get circumcised. And the other one's like, oh, man, I had that done when I was a newborn and I couldn't walk for a year. Because <laughs> he was a newborn. Whatever. Doesn't matter. But here, we know what this is, right? So, but circumcision, circumcision was a Jewish thing. 
See, circumcision was something that happened to Jewish males when they were eight days old. They would be circumcised as the way that they were now included into the covenant community. They would be circumcised. They would be brought into the covenant community. Okay, And all through the Old Testament, we read God saying, your circumcision isn't enough. Great, you've been circumcised, but your heart is wicked, and it's not enough. Following that rule will not get you where you need to be. We read that all through the Old Testament. Okay? And now Paul starts to say something new here. He starts to say, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not physically circumcised, because this is for women too. Okay? You weren't physically circumcised. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sin nature, the part of you that was born in sin because of Adam and Eve, the part of you that was born in sin, the part of you that was a slave to sin, When you come to Jesus Christ, God cuts away the part of you that is broken. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him (coughs) you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And so here we, we, we read a couple of things that we have to deal with, okay? First, when you came to Christ, notice where it says that. This is something that is true of Christians. When you come to Christ, not when you're born, that's why it's like this is not a physical circumcision. This is a spiritual circumcision. When you come to Christ, this whole thing happens. Your dead necrotic part of you, the sin nature, the part of you that is spiritually dead is cut away. You become this brand new thing now. It's this new life. In fact, that's why we have this 2 Corinthians 5.17. How many of you know this by heart? Um, how many of you should know this by heart? Just raise your hand. Good. You, you can put it up. Put it up high. You, you should know this by heart. In fact, you should know it by heart by now just if you pay attention every week because I think I mention this text every single week because this text is foundational. Some of you that have read the Bible and read it well you have that one verse, right? Raise your hand if you have one verse that kind of drives you in your life. Yeah. If you don't have one of those, may I suggest that you spend more time in the Word? That's not me um, chastising you. That's me telling you that when you spend time in God's Word, there are things in there that will speak to your soul and that will lay out everything for the way that you're going to be and the way that you're going to act and how you're going to do things and what it all means. And this one is one of those for me. This is who I am now. It says anyone that belongs to Christ, go back. When you came to Christ means you belong to Christ. Anyone, oh, come on. Anyone who belongs to Christ now has become a new person. That's that spiritual circumcision. That old part of me is dead and gone. Okay? means the old life is gone. That literal translation means dead. It is gone. It is dead. And you have been born again. You know that phrase, born again Christian? That's this. You are now literally a new birth, a new creation. That's who Paul says you are. And can I be really honest with you? There were no rules to get you there. It was just coming to the cross. It was trusting in Jesus. And when I trust in Jesus, this works for me. I am now new. I am made right. 
everything that was broken in me is now fixed. Now, does that mean I'm going to live a perfect life? No, because I'm still human and my flesh still screams out for sin and the propensity in me is still to sin. But what it means is I'm not okay with it anymore. When you are friends with your sin, you got a real problem with whether or not you are a new person. Okay, that's above my pay grade. Nobody's ever going to sit in my office and I'm going to say to you, you know what, you're not a Christian. But you ought to look in the mirror and have that conversation. Because if you are comfortable with your sin, then I have reason to question whether or not you are really a new person. Because when I read this, I don't read any halfway statement. I read, this is what has happened to you. When you come to Christ, you were circumcised by this spiritual procedure where your sin nature is ripped away from you. And what's left is this new nature. And it won't be perfect, but it should crave it. It should desire it. And there's something we have to address here because, well, I'm your pastor and I have to, and it says it here, and it says something about baptism. Okay, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, and you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. We have a conversation. People ask me about it all the time. How do we baptize people? Do we baptize infants? Do we baptize believers? Okay, and this is another one of those things. Where we'll address this because I, I feel like I need to, but I will remind you, this is not a salvation issue. You can think differently than I do on this and be okay. I can think differently than you do, and I can still be okay. The only time this becomes a bigger deal is if someone has ever taught you that to be right with God, you must be baptized. If anyone has ever taught you that to be a Christian means you must be baptized, to go to heaven means you must be baptized, to be okay with God, you must follow the rule of baptism. I got issue there because that's not what the Bible teaches me. That's high-sounding nonsense, okay? To be a Christian, to be right with God, you come to Jesus. That's what it says. You came to Christ. I came to the cross I know I need a Savior, and I trust Jesus Christ for my soul. I need a Savior. He's the only one that fits the bill. I follow. When you're there, okay, that is new life. But new life does require response, okay? When I'm new, it should push me to levels of obedience. And this is where we sometimes have the conversation. Should we be baptized as infants? Like circumcision in the Old Testament, should we be bringing infants into the covenant community? Or is it a response to new life that happens? And so here's where I'll tell you, we can have a conversation about this later, but I just want to, this is where I'm at and people will ask. So I would say that the best way I understand this, I know that, that there's historical, but the best way I understand the absolute word of God right here is that baptism happens in this moment here. So that's what, we, that, that, that's what I'll teach you. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. It's like this, right? For when you were buried with Christ, when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life. That's, this is a new life, new covenant thing. That's why when we baptized, we, I mean, those of you that have been baptized with me, by me, you'll remember as we put you into the water, we say buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in new life. Because that's what we're reading here. Okay? 
And so there's, there's two ways to think about it. Paedo-baptism is the baptism of infants. We're not mad at that. I just don't know that I see it in Scripture. Uh, credo-baptism is the baptism of believers. One of the things you'll hear about infant baptism is that households were baptized in the Old Testament. Okay? And if a household was baptized, then odds are that means an infant lived in that household or someone who didn't believe lived in that household. Is that possible? I will grant you, sure, it's possible. Except in the 99% of cases where we read this um, in Acts 18.8, we read something like this. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, that would be he is a, a Jew. He is such a Jew. He leads the synagogue. Crispus, though, and everyone in his household believed and was baptized. So we point to that. We say, well, see, they, they, were, they were baptized. There had to be some people in the household that weren't believers. So they were baptized, and that kind of brought them into the covenant community. doesn't mean they were Christians now, but they were part of the covenant community. I'm going to say I don't think so because I read this word, and this word is pretty strong. Everyone in this household believed in the Lord and was baptized. Also, I read this. Many others in the city of Corinth also heard Paul and in proper order became believers and were baptized. Okay, so again, I'm not angry at your infant baptism, okay? But as we read through scripture and we need to pull it apart and see what it says, this is, this is what it tells me. So my encouragement to those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ is if you have not been baptized, it's a decision that you should make. It's a decision that you should make in obedience, not because following the rule will save you, but because following Jesus means that I'm growing and I desire to do things that he lays in front of me. It breeds obedience, and this is that moment. Okay, so we continue all the way back to Colossians. That was a little side note. Okay, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual... We already... No, that's the one I want. You were dead because of your sins and because your sin nature was not yet cut away. That's who you were. God made you alive with Christ because he forgave your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against you and he took them away by nailing them to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So as Paul starts to wrap up these, this thought, here's what he comes back to. He's like, okay... You are different than you used to be. You were dead, now you're alive. God canceled the record of charges against you and he took them away by nailing them to the cross. Now there's something you need to understand there. For those of you that have become best friends with one of your sins, for those of you that have become really comfortable with one of your sins, one of your sins might be, um, well, I mean... Whatever. We could list out all these sins. Some of you, it's pornography. You've become really, really comfortable with pornography. And you know better. You know you shouldn't watch it. You know it's not what God designs for you, but you watch it anyway. For some of you, it's alcohol. And it's not that alcohol by itself is bad, but you know getting drunk is wrong. But you've become really comfortable with getting drunk, and so you get drunk frequently. You celebrate it almost. You look forward to it. It's what you plan your week around. For some of you, it's a relationship that you shouldn't be in or that you shouldn't be in the way that you're in it. Okay, for some of you, it's, it's your anger, it's your gossip, it's your tongue, whatever it is. But when you get really comfortable with your sin, 
it's really, really problematic because I look at this and I see that God made you alive in Christ because he forgave your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by how? By nailing it to the cross. What Paul's doing is he's making a very clear connection that the sin that you're really comfortable with, the sin that you're really good with, that was a nail driven through Jesus Christ on the cross. That sin that you are best friends with, it cost Jesus something fierce. And yet we're comfortable with it. And we like it. And we know God says no, but whatever. We, we think it's going to be okay anyway. But that sin that you're comfortable with was driven through Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what I'm reading there. It was nailed to the cross. And that way, he disarmed all of it. He took away the power of it. So if you really are a Christian, that sin that you're playing with, that you're dancing with, that you're sleeping with, that you're rolling around with, that you're watching on the internet, that you're shoving in your mouth, that sin doesn't really have power in you anymore. Not if you're a new believer. You've been made new. He defeated that power. This is why I say sometimes I think we need to have a conversation with ourselves. We need to look in the mirror and we need to ask ourselves, what's true? Rules don't get me there. But if I really am saved, then my life is really different. We keep going. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certainly holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. We jump in here. This is now Paul saying, as he switches gears, he's like, okay, there's something you need to know. And this is, I mean, it's not complicated. What he's saying here is you don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be Jewish. You want to be a Christian? You know what being a Christian hinges on? It hinges on the cross of Christ. You don't have to be something you're not. So don't let anybody condemn you for what you eat or drink. You want to eat a pig? Good news. Eat a pig. And let's be honest. That's good news. I mean, it's not like gospel good news. But bacon is delicious. Ribs? Just saying. It's getting close to lunchtime, so <laughs> feeling a little. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain religious holidays, new moons or Sabbaths. And all of those are, as we read through uh, the Old Testament, we read through the books of law, we read about all of those food restrictions and drink restrictions, and we read all about those those celebrations that we're supposed to go. And so what Paul's saying here is anybody that tells you you have to be something other than a Christian to be okay with God is lying to you. Don't get sucked into that high-sounding nonsense. All of your sins were forgiven on the cross. This is now the reality. I went to a Promise Keepers once. I was, oh man, I was young and stupid. Um, I'm still stupid sometimes. And younger than some of you. Not many. Uh, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. I'm going into the Promise Keepers, and there's a lady out there with a picket sign, and she's handing out flyers. And one of the flyers is this. Well, actually, I mean, it was the only flyer she gave me. The flyer was basically this, that there is no way I could be a Christian and be a meat eater. And at the time, I hadn't read this. I mean, I'd read parts of it, but I hadn't read this. And oh man, it floored me. It was like, oh, am I doing it wrong? And it wrecked me. 
It was like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not a Christian because cows are delicious, right? And maybe, maybe I'm not. And then I'm, I'm wrestling with myself. I'm like, but, but, you know, all of the Old Testament sacrifices and this and that, and I know about them. I don't know about them, but I know that they're in there and, and I'm wrestling. And I finally, I remember Byron Hand asked the pastor, he was with us and he's like, yeah, no. He's like, that's ridiculous. And he directs me to some passages that we read together and he explains something like this. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not acting in a certain way. This is why some, we have some, some um, denominations or religions in town that will teach us that if we're really going to be Christian, we have to follow the old covenant as well as the new covenant. I'm not going to say those aren't Christian religions, that those aren't Christian faiths, but I'm not convinced they are. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm not sure because if they're relying on something other than Jesus to save them, then they've got a problem. And I read here, Paul says, no, 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 don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. You want to be a vegetarian, be a vegetarian. You don't? You don't want to follow Old Testament restrictions? Then don't. It doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus. And this is what he says, for all of those rules were only shadows that were supposed to point to Jesus. Well, guess what? We don't have to point to Jesus anymore because Jesus is here now. We get to celebrate Jesus, okay? And we keep going, maybe. Here we go, okay? You've died, oh no, man, this is, okay. My, my clicker really is goofy today, or my fingers, one or the other. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels. Now, we don't talk much in our culture, this culture about the worship of angels, okay, but that was a thing that Paul dealt with. People would say, well, you need to not only worship God, but you need to worship these other things too. Well, no, we don't worship other things. We don't worship saints of old. We don't worship people. We don't worship celestial beings. We don't worship horoscopes. We don't worship any of those things. You know what we worship? We worship Jesus. So he says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on this pious self-denial, saying that they've had visions about these things. You know what else? Listen, anybody that comes to you with some secret knowledge, um, no. Anybody that comes to you and says, well, I know something that you don't because God spoke to me personally you got to take that with a real big grain of salt. And if somebody comes to you and says, you know what, God told me something that is true. Oh, and, and by the way, it contradicts something that's in here. Um, you're done with that person. That's high-sounding nonsense that you have no part in because God will never tell anybody anything that contradicts his revealed will in scripture. And so we have nothing to do with secret knowledge. So when somebody says, well, you have to do it this way, and I've had a special vision about this thing, or it makes sense to me, then their sinful minds have made them proud. And get this, they're not connected to Christ. Oh, that hurts. I want to tell you what that means. And this isn't me saying it. This is Paul saying it. This is his authority saying it. This is the Holy Spirit working. This is God himself saying this. When someone insists that you do something other than follow Jesus to be right with God, that person, according to Paul, not even a Christian. Not even connected to Christ. 
Somebody tells you that you want to go to heaven, you have to not only follow Jesus, but add all of these other things to the mix. That person, according to what Paul tells me here, not even a Christian. <laughs> Rules don't get you there. In fact, they hurt you. Okay? So don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial. Listen, okay? This is where we get into the religious rules. I met somebody the other day, last week, no, two weeks ago. They came into my office and they're like, well, we want to come to church, going to check it out. Uh, what do I have to wear? Clothes. <laughs> like, I really feel strongly that you should wear clothes at church. Other than that, I don't care. What kind of music should I listen to? Heavy metal? I don't care. I mean, I had a conversation with somebody it was not so long ago also that was like, well, is it true that rock and roll music is the devil's music? <sighs> Hope not. Because I listen to it all the time. Right? Pious self-denial. Well, you can only listen to this kind of music and you can only dress this way and you can only eat this food and you can't drink that stuff. Listen, none of that is Christian. What's Christian is following Jesus Christ and the things he tells us. And so we wrap up this text here and he says this. He says, you've now died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Some of you right now, legal defense team kicking into overdrive, you're saying, aha, so I can drink whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I can sleep with whatever I want. I can watch whatever I want because those are just human rules. Too far. Okay, let's finish this thought first. So don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise, right, because they require a lot of self-piety. They require a lot of self-devotion, uh, of, of I'm going to use my willpower to refrain. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You know what helps conquer your evil desires? Having that part of your life cut completely out on the cross. That's what helps you conquer your evil desires. Okay, and so this last big idea here that I need you to get is as Christians, we get this. There are some rules that we naturally follow and there are others that we get to avoid. Rules that we get to avoid are rules from the outside in that are meant to conform us. What I wear, what I eat, what I drink, who I talk to, what kind of music I listen to, what my sanctuary looks like, uh, what kind of clothes I wear, what kind of conversation, all of that from the outside in is meant to make me look better. It's meant to make me look religious. It's meant to get me to be a whitewashed tomb that will look awesome on the outside, but will be full of death and decay on the inside. But rules that we follow Okay? Rules that we follow are the rules that God gives about who we now are because the old part of me is gone and there's a new part of me. And the new part of me desires to live to my fullest potential and who I am in God. Okay? And so that means there are things that I naturally don't do because God says, this will not help you be the person I've created you to be. But there's something so much better when you, when you grow into your freedom. And so we have to be really careful about this. 
And there's two ends of the continuum. And as we come to communion this morning, it's going to be time for us to wrestle with this a little bit. Ask the elders to come forward, prepare to, to do communion with us uh, as, we, as we get ready to close our service. But here's what happens. As Christians, we end up on this side of the continuum, okay, where we say, I'm over here now. Um, I can do whatever I want because God forgives me. I can live however I want because God forgives me. I, God is gracious. God is loving. God is kind. I can do anything that I want, and all I have to do is say I'm sorry. Or even if I forget to say sorry, God's gracious enough to forgive that. So I can just do whatever I want, and it'll be okay, and I'm on this end of the continuum. And over here on this end, we get these people well, yes, I became a Christian, I'm following God, but I better make sure that I do this three times a week, and that I do this 12 times a day, and that I am um, praying not just for every meal, because if I don't pray for God to bless my food, he may actually poison it, right? So I have to pray that it'll be okay, and I have to, I have to make sure that I've read at least four chapters every day, and if I don't show up to church at least Three times during the week, something bad is going to happen to me, and we go through this process of trusting all of these things to fix it. And so as Christians, we end up being somewhere on this continuum, either over here where we say, whatever, it doesn't matter, or over here where we say, well, it has to look an exact certain way. And the reality is, neither of those are accurate. That is, that is weird human thinking, and this is religious thinking. And neither one of them are what God desires. What God desires is this understanding, and it's what he teaches during communion. He says, look, so, so here's how it works. I'm about to do something new. Why am I going to do something new? It's because I love you like crazy. And so he, he shows them. He says, so, so this, this bread, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you, and he says, do this to remember me, which basically means this. It's when you, when you celebrate communion together, what you're doing is you're remembering what happened. You're remembering that God died for you on the cross, that all of your sin has been paid for on the cross. Don't get comfortable with your sin because your sin cost Jesus Christ pain, suffering, and alienation from God on the cross. Don't be comfortable with it. Don't play with it. So he said, do this, eat this, remember me, remember my sacrifice. And then he poured the cup and he said, oh, oh, and here's this other thing. This is the new covenant, this new understanding that's represented in my blood. It's poured out for you. It's the sign of the new covenant. What it means is it means now that you are in a new relationship with the God of the universe that rules don't apply anymore. You see, you see how we get this? He's like, my body is broken. Don't think that your sin doesn't matter. Don't be on this end of the continuum. My body was broken for you. Your sin matters. Don't be comfortable with it. But then he says, this blood, this is the new covenant that's poured out for you. Over here, he says, look, look. so it's not about ritual and religion. It's about this relationship with me, this new covenant that you find in me. And when we celebrate communion, what we're really doing, okay, is we're really understanding the two of these things. The body is broken. The bread is broken. The cup is poured out, right? And so we come to the table and we realize that at one point, our sin is detestable to us and we run from it. On another level, we understand that it is only by the blood of Jesus Christ, no matter what we do, that our actions will never make it work, that it's only because Jesus loves us this much that we're free. 
But we're not free to revel in our sin. We're free to revel in God's grace. And it gets confusing, which is why we often come back to the communion table, which is why we often come back to the cross. And so I'm going to invite you. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to invite you. Um, if you're a Christian here today, then I want to invite you to come and take communion with us. And if you have some, um, some dealing with God to do, if you need to confess, if you need to, to, to remember um, that you need to walk away from sin or you need to remember that, that it's not about the rules that you follow, it's just about God's grace, whatever it is, deal with God today. Confess what you have to confess and come to the table, okay? As we take communion, I'll invite you, okay, to come, take communion, and then quietly exit, okay? I'm going to ask you to quietly exit because you may exit before other people, and I want them to be able to be prayerful and mindful of what they're doing as they come to the table. And when we're finished, we all will have exited the room together and uh, we'll be able to visit and celebrate God's graciousness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. God, this is a hard truth as we read through the book of Colossians, that we are free from rules, that rules do not get us where we need to be. That's true. But Father, it's also true that when we are really new creations, that it moves us to act differently, that cultural Christianity is not a thing, but disciples grow and disciples follow. And so, God, we ask you to, to drill those truths into our hearts today to really help us understand that it's not about rules, but it's about obedience. Father, as we come to communion today, help us to remember your body that was broken. This is a sacrifice that we will never fully understand. Intellectually, we get it, but we'll never fully understand what it cost for you to take on the sins of the world. And Father, as we, as we take the cup and we drink the juice, help us to remember the reality of the new covenant that we live in, that we are now in this personal relationship with you. Something that's never before been until this moment. But God, now that gives us freedom to come directly to the throne room, that gives us freedom to live a life that honors you, that gives us freedom to matter. Father, we love you and we praise you and we just ask you to, to burn these truths into our hearts as we celebrate communion together. Amen.